Well, you know, as we pray and think through those things and we say, you know, prayers of worship and prayers of thanks to God and prayers of confession, okay, why do, why? Why do we do that? Because we regularly need to come back and run back to Jesus and say, God, search my heart. I read in Acts chapter 9, this is not part of the sermon, this is bonus, right? In Acts chapter 9, I read this morning, and it says this about the early church. It said, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. And, and that struck me to think about walking in the fear of the Lord. It doesn't mean that we're walking afraid of God, but it means that we're living in awe of God. We're coming before God and saying, God, I want to be holy because you are holy. I want my life, God, take my life, be, lead my life. I want to live for you. Walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. When we talk about suffering today and all these things. We are comforted by God. I mean, think about that church. What happened? They were being built up. It multiplied. It grew. God was at work as they lived in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. That's my prayer for us, churches, that we would live that way and say, God, let us live in the fear of the Lord, which means we would say, it's almost this attitude that says, God, how could I sin? How could I choose to do these things? Because I stand before you. I stand before you as a holy God knowing that God sees and knows our hearts. And so we, God, we say, God, would you let us live holy as you are holy? All right, so that was not the sermon. So, you know, whatever. That's a, that's a bonus, a side note. All right. Again, good morning. Glad to be together this morning. If you are joining us online, great to have you here. Comment, say hello, ask questions, interact, all those things. But we are glad that you're joining us. Um, if you're in the room, you can ask questions and interact. It might just, you know, whatever you want to do. So anyways, all right. So all of us have experienced physical pain at some level. And some people have experienced far more physical pain than others, you know. But I have a question. Have you ever had to go to the doctor or to the hospital or something, and you've been asked to rate your pain on a scale of like 1 to 10? Right? You're going to go, that, this always stresses me out. Every, this, time, this question, I'm like, I don't know. What if I get it wrong? What if I, you know, what if I say 10, but really it's just a 2, and I'm just, like, not tough? Or, like, what if I say 4, but I'm really tough, and it's actually a 10? If I get it wrong, then, like, I'm, like, diagnosing this problem here, right? And I'm like, no, you're the doctor. I don't know. Right? It always stresses me out. Like, I don't, this is like this measure of, like, how tough am I or not, Right? Because it's very fluid for different people, right? I don't trust myself to rate my own pain and suffering, right? Anybody with me? Anybody had that experience? You're like, I don't know, four? It hurts? I don't know, right? Anyways, so last week we started this topic of suffering. Now, we're not talking specifically about physical suffering, right? But it could include that. It's, that's part of it. But what we want to do is look at and answer this question, how can Christians deal with suffering? How can we walk through it? How can we endure? How do we like make sense of the fact that suffering exists in the world. Last week we saw this, this kind of the main idea that was this, that God gives comfort in our suffering so that we can comfort others and deepen our reliance on Him, that God's at work in the midst of our suffering. And, and, and we, said, we said God gives, we, like we want to get away from suffering, we just want to run from it, but God gives comfort in our suffering and not always escape from it. But that's good news, right? That God has said, I'll walk with you. I won't just leave you to yourself. Your suffering is not purposeless. I will be with you. 
right? So if you're in the room, you can kind of think about this. If you're online, answer this question this morning. What has suffering taught you? What are the lessons that you've learned? Because God will teach us in the midst of suffering. So I would encourage you to ponder that because it's good to look back and say, I'm learning and growing even through hard things. All right, turn in your Bible to 2 Corinthians. As I said, this is part two in our sermons about suffering from our Corinthians series, Imperfect Church, Perfect Savior. If you were not able to be with us last week, you can listen to last week's sermon um, through our website or through our podcast, um, and you can go and find those and listen to those um, and kind of hear part one. And I would say again, like last week I invited you to ask questions. That's always the invitation. If, you, if I preach this whole message and you're like, I have questions about suffering, ask, right? I may not have every answer, but we, we want to be able to talk about those things together. So please reach out to us or ask questions. But as we think about this Corinthians series, that even in the imperfectness of suffering, in the messy, broken world, we have a perfect Savior. Jesus, our hope, our life, our perfect Savior. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we're going to read verses 7 through 18. It's going to be on the screen as well. Here's what it says. Paul is writing, and he says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed, and so I spoke, we also believe, and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Let's pray again this morning. God, would you speak to our hearts? Lord, I want to come and offer this to you and pray that your spirit would be at work in us, encouraging us, drawing us close to you this morning. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, it's, it's, it's no surprise that we live in a world of suffering. It's a reality of life. We talked about this last week. We are prone. Here, here's our, our problem is that we are prone to lose heart, to despair, to give up, to say, God, where are you, to harden our hearts against God. In this suffering, like if it's a fact of life, then how do we endure suffering? How do we keep going? What is God doing in our suffering? For some people, and you can go read all the books, for some people this is a very philosophical 
argument, you know, like, why does God do this, or why would God allow this? And, and, you know, and, and it's worth talking about. It's worth reading and, and learning and thinking about those things. But for most of us, it's like day-to-day, like, no, I'm exper- I feel this. I don't, I'm not thinking about this. I feel it in my life. I feel this is my daily painful experience of whatever it is I'm suffering. Maybe I've been through something, or I'm in it right now, or I will in the future. And so hear me this morning. Every person in this room, and online as well. God has not forgotten you. God loves you. God is not against you. And my prayer is that after our time in God's word together this morning, you could be encouraged, that your heart would be strengthened and reminded of God's faithfulness to be able to keep going, to be able to endure whether you're in suffering right now or whether you're going to come into it one day, but that you can endure. So our main idea this morning is this, is that we can endure suffering by trusting that God reigns over the past, the present, and the future. Reigns not like reign outside, but like rules. He, he rules and reigns like a king, right? We can endure suffering by trusting that God reigns over the past, the present, and the future. All right, so let's look through our passage together. We're going to kind of, I'm going to kind of pull it apart a little bit, and then we'll give some, uh, some, some principles that we learn about suffering from this. In verse 7, if you look back at the Scripture, Paul says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. What is he talking about? What is this treasure? And we see it in verse 6. So if you go back to verse 6, we see that the treasure is this. He says, Christ has shown in our hearts. He has revealed himself in our hearts. He has shown his love to us. And what Paul is saying is Jesus is our great treasure. Jesus is where we find our life and our joy. He is the treasure. And so Paul says, us, we're like jars made out of clay. If you can, maybe you've seen a movie from like the first century, well, not from the first century, about the first century, that's better, right? Maybe you've seen a movie and you you picture like a big clay pot and they would fill it with various things. You know, they were, they were breakable, and they would just kind of, if they break, they just kind of throw them out and make a new one. They were pretty easy to make and all of that. And so, but Paul says, we're like those clay pots. We're humble. We're simple. We're not impressive. We're vulnerable. We're breakable. But by the grace of God, inside, we possess the treasure of Jesus. And Paul's saying, that's what we're like. Our lives are, 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 are fragile, are breakable, unimpressive, but we have Jesus living in us. We have this treasure in jars of clay. Look at verses 8 and 9, and Paul just goes through this, this, this list. He says, there are pressures, there are afflictions from all sides, but we're not destroyed. We don't live in despair. We don't live without hope. And Paul knew something about this. He understood persecution. He understood physical suffering. He understood emotional suffering. If you look over at, uh, this will be on the screen, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 24 through 28. Just listen to what Paul endured. He knows this firsthand. It says, he says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned with rocks. Three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day. I was adrift at sea. Think about that. Can you imagine floating out at sea for a night and a day? That's terrifying. I don't know about you, but that's, you know. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness. Sounds like a kid's book, 
very sad kid's book, right? Danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and in hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Like Paul, this is Paul is no stranger to this. And so when he writes, like, we are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, he, he, he knows this firsthand. He's living this and he's coming to them and saying, hey, there's comfort, there is peace, there's a way to endure. You look at verses 10 through 12, and you know, he's saying, we always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. This is a little weird. What's he talking about? He's saying we identify with the death of Jesus. Jesus suffered and died for us, and if we're going to follow him, we, we will suffer. We will be like him. But what he's pointing to is that we, we walk in, we carry this death, this suffering in our lives, but we also carry the victory the empty tomb, what Jesus did, we carry the life of Jesus. And he says, for the sake of other people. This is similar to last week, that we get, God gives comfort in our suffering so that we can comfort others. And Paul's saying, hey, we carry in us the sufferings of Jesus, the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus can also be seen through us. Because it's not just the suffering, right? The story of Jesus is not just the crucifixion, it's the resurrection also. Paul's saying, hey, we're giving ourselves up so that other people see Jesus through us. And we see this in verse 15 as well. In verse 15, he says, for it is all for your sake. He's telling the Corinthian church, I'm suffering so that you will glorify God. I'm suffering so that you will see Jesus. Paul was identifying himself with Jesus willing to suffer, willing to sacrifice so that other people would see Jesus through him. In verses 13 and 14, there's a, there's a quote here, right? He said, since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, and he quotes, I believe and so I spoke. Okay, what is that? Where does that come from? It comes from Psalm 116 at verse 10, and in that psalm, the writer faces pain and anguish, and yet continues to proclaim the greatness of God. And so just like the psalmist, Paul's faith enables him to proclaim God's word even in trials. And in verse 14, it says, knowing. Think about that word. That's a great word because he's confident. He says, I know. I'm confident. Knowing. Knowing what? That God, that the God who raised Jesus from the dead will also raise us to new life bringing us into the presence of God. This is what Paul knows. This is what he is sure of. There is hope for eternity. We go to verses 16 through 18. This is where we're going to spend most of our time this morning. He says, so, all these things, Jesus has risen from the dead, so we do not lose heart. That's good news. We don't lose heart. We don't give up, even though the outer self is wasting away. He's talking about his physical body. Think about it. He, he's been through, he's been beaten, he's been floating out in the ocean, he's been all of these things. He says, my physical body is wasting away. I'm getting older. I'm not who I used to be. Like, everything hurts, right? Um, it's like, so in a way, he's talking about the normal stuff of, like, aging and getting older. Some people in here are pretty, are young, and they don't really know. I'm, you know, I don't know that I'm old. I don't know what I am. I've had some, like, back and neck pain the last few days. Nothing major, but I was in the car yesterday with Annabelle. I was like, man, my back hurts. And she said, 
maybe you're just getting old. And I was like, maybe, thank you. I don't really know. Maybe so. Maybe that's it, right? But we all go through this. Like, we, we experience the, like, small things and big things of just, like, like, why does my body not always work the way that I want it to, right? All of those things. And Paul says, hey, our outer self is wasting away. It's temporary. It's not going to last. It's not always going to do what we want it to do, right? For Paul, he dealt with the literal, like, physical, emotional, and spiritual toil that persecution and ministry was taking on him. And the pains and the pressures of life were weighing heavy on him, and they weigh heavy on us. But what he's trying to tell us is we have hope. Even though our outer self, our physical self is not getting any better, it's wasting away, we have an eternal hope. We can endure suffering by trusting that God reigns over the past, the present, and the future. Let's look at three reasons why we can endure in the midst of suffering. I said this last week. Maybe you're in it right now and you need to hear this today. Maybe you're like, I'm not suffering right now. Just save this. Put it in your pocket and save it for later, right? Because all of us will face suffering in various ways at various times. All right, number one. Here's the three points. God is sovereign over suffering. God shapes us in our suffering. And third, for a Christian, suffering is temporary. Number one, God is sovereign over suffering. God is sovereign over all things. What's that mean? It means that he is in control, ruling and reigning over the universe, capable, free, and able to do what he wants to do. He is the king. Is that me? He is the king, the sovereign, ruling over all things. And in this crazy world that we live in, God is fully in control. He knows what he is doing. He's sovereign over the past, the present, and the future. There is great hope and encouragement in this truth, right? Because there is never a moment when God is panicky or stressed or unsure or shaky or on the verge of burning out. So how does this connect with suffering? Well, it's this, that God's sovereignty includes his ruling power over suffering as well. I mentioned last week, this leads to some real deep questions. Does God allow suffering? Does God cause suffering? And these are questions that have caused a lot of people to run from God and say, I can't believe that. I can't believe a God would do that. And maybe you struggle with these questions yourself, and that's okay. Maybe you have doubts even now, like, how do I reconcile these things? What do I do with that? And again, I don't claim to have every answer, but I would invite you to wrestle with those doubts. Keep asking questions that even in this church you can say, you know what, I don't know what I believe about all these things. I don't know where I am. But come and ask and seek, and let's do it together. These are questions that are worth asking in our lives. Because suffering can cause us to doubt the goodness of God. It can make us say, is is he loving enough to stop the suffering? Or it can make us doubt the power of God. Is God strong enough to stop the suffering? Can he do that? So is God sovereign over suffering? And the answer is yes. That everything we face has either been allowed by God or planned out by God. And there's actually great comfort in this, right? Would you rather suffering not be under God's control? Like, to me, that seems worse, right? <laughs> like, 
it doesn't mean that we know why. It doesn't mean we know every reason, every answer. It doesn't always make sense. But God is sovereign over suffering. In the passage today, we see this at work kind of in the background. In verses 8 and 9, when Paul describes what they're facing, he never for a moment thinks that God has abandoned them. So we see God's sovereignty in the fact that they're afflicted but not crushed, perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. God is sovereign over this suffering. God has allowed this suffering to take place because he's forming and shaping his people, bringing glory to himself. And Paul doesn't question that. Paul knows that God is in control. Maybe you're familiar with the story of Job from the Old Testament. The story goes like this. The account is that Job was a righteous man who honored God. And Satan comes to God and says, Sure, God, Job loves you because his life is good. And Satan says, Let me take away everything and inflict suffering on him. Then we'll see if he still loves you. God says, Okay. And Job goes on to face suffering of immense proportions, yet stays faithful to God. And here's something that that account from the Bible illustrates. It's this, God is sovereign over suffering. In this account, God did not cause the suffering. Satan did, but God was fully in control and allowed it. Satan had to go get permission, essentially. And it shows us that God is the one who is in control of all things, whether it makes sense to us or not. There's a lady that maybe, uh, her, her name, maybe you've heard about, her name is Cory Ten Boom, and she was a Dutch Christian, and she was sent to a concentration camp during the Second World War for helping Jewish people hide and escape the Nazis, and she suffered a lot, and she lost family members, and, and she had immense suffering. She survived that ordeal. But she tells the story of a tapestry, you know, like something you'd like hang on a wall that has a pattern on it or a design, right? So she tells a story of a tapestry that illustrates God's sovereignty over suffering. She says, it's as if God, in our suffering, in our lives, is as, as if God is weaving a tapestry. And God looks and sees the whole thing. He knows the end result. He knows what he's planning to do. God sees how everything is coming together. But for us, we see the other side of it. We see the back of the tapestry in a sense, where we look and say, this does not make sense. If you've ever seen the back of a tapestry or a rug, it's like loose threads and doesn't, you don't really see the pattern. It's all just kind of crazy. And you look and you say, this does not make sense. God, what are you doing? And yet he's sovereign. He sees the whole thing. He knows what he's doing. He knows where he's heading. He knows what he is creating. Pastor Tim Keller wrote this. He says, just because you can't see or imagine a good reason why God might allow something to happen doesn't mean there can't be one. Right? We want to know everything. We want to know every reason why. But a part of God's sovereignty is that we say, God, I don't know everything, and you do. God is God, and we are not. He is sovereign even over our suffering. And so we trust him. And maybe that doesn't feel very practical, but it's very practical. <laughs> when we say, God, I believe and I choose to believe day after day that you are sovereign, that you are in control. When we put that in our hearts and in our lives, it leads us to say, okay, God, I can trust you. Even when I don't see the answers, even when it doesn't make sense. That day after day, trial after trial, we place our trust in our God who is sovereign and fully in control. God is sovereign over 
suffering. Secondly, God shapes us in our suffering. This is similar to last week, because last week we said that God produces purpose in all of our suffering. This is another one of those purposes, that God's doing something in us in the middle of the suffering. Look at verses 16 and 17 again. He says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. That in the middle of suffering, God desires to shape us, to renew us, to make us more like him. That our inner self, our spiritual life can thrive even in suffering, even in darkness. This is, and this is the opposite of our thinking. Because we can face difficulty and suffering and see no good that could come from it. But God is at work teaching us to run to him to depend on him, to be renewed day after day. Verse 17, we see that the affliction is accomplishing something. He uses the word here, he says, for this light momentary affliction is preparing. This is an action word, something that is happening to us. God is preparing, which means he is producing or causing or bringing about. God is at work in us, preparing us and shaping us, causing us to grow deeper in our faith. And again, this does not, this is not this like equation of like, okay, I'm suffering, so God's doing this, so I just have to like, okay, just deal with it and just get it over with. I I can't answer why. I can't answer why some people suffer in this way or in that way, but God in his power and his grace will use even suffering to shape us and teach us. Let's quickly look at this in other places in Scripture, because this is all over the Bible. In James chapter 1, it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Romans 5, Paul says, But we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. In 1 Peter, it says this, in verse, 1 Peter 1, 6, it says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. God is shaping us in our suffering. Think about the story of Joseph from the book of Genesis in the Old, in the Old Testament. Joseph suffered a lot. You read through that whole story. He, it's, like, it's like, okay, Joseph, you're doing really well. Okay, now go. You're, now you're in a pit. Okay, Joseph, you're doing really well. Okay, now you're in jail. You know, and this is just how this goes. Tim Keller writes about Joseph. He said, Joseph's character was refined and strengthened by his trials. If God had not allowed Joseph's years of suffering, he would never have been such a powerful agent for social justice and spiritual healing. God was at work in Joseph the whole time. One of the things we learn from that story, when we look at it, we see this suffering and how God was shaping him. It's all over the Bible that God is shaping and refining us in our suffering. And we stand back, and in ways that we don't understand always, 
The fact that God does this, this is an incredible grace towards us. Right? Because what if God was just hands off, basically just leaving us as we are? It is God's grace towards us that he's shaping us, making us more like Jesus, bringing, to him, bringing us to himself. Another author named Paul David Tripp wrote this, If God intended all the days of your life to be easy, they would be. No, in grace he intends for your days to be his tools of refinement. And that is not something that we should feel like we have to run from, but we say, okay, God, you know best. I'm yours. I don't understand it, but I'm yours. Often we're seeking our own happiness from our perspective of what happiness or comfort should be. But God is seeking our holiness. And in that, we find joy, we find life, because he knows what we need. He knows what we truly need. So be encouraged by this. It's a good thing, right? What did Paul say in verse 16? He says, our, our inner self is being renewed day by day. That's a beautiful thing. That is good news. We're not left to just float along by ourselves, but day by day, even in our suffering, we're strengthened, we're renewed, we're finding the joy and life of Jesus. So in the trials, in the suffering, abide in Christ. Run to him daily, walk with him day by day, immerse yourself in God's word, in scripture. Let your heart overflow with prayer because as we walk with him, we are renewed day by day. And we are shaped to be more like Jesus. You can trust that he is doing this good work in you. We can endure suffering by trusting that God reigns over the past, the present, and the future. Third point this morning is this. For a Christian, suffering is temporary. If you're not a Christian this morning, if you've never come to the place where you've put your faith and trust in Jesus as the only way to God, the way that I said that point is very specific, and I, I want you to, I encourage you to listen with an open heart this morning. For a Christian, suffering is temporary. Because God reigns not only over the past and the present, but over the future as well. Let's read verses 17, look back at verses 17 and 18. Or Paul says, this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are seen are, sorry, the things that are unseen are eternal. Paul's saying there's something more than we see right now. There is eternity and we don't fix our eyes, we don't get fixated on what's right in front of us, of what we can see and what understand, but we look at the things that are unseen, the things that are eternal. And Paul's trying to tell us we can endure suffering in this life because we know that the things we face are momentary. That this life is not all there is. It doesn't mean that in the moment it feels momentary. Right? Because sometimes suffering, it, it is like, it's all I can see. It's all I can feel. But it's exactly in those moments when Paul says, we don't lose heart. He says, it's a light, momentary affliction. You're like, okay, Paul, you light, momentary? This does not feel this way. It feels unending. It feels enduring. But he compares it. What's he compare it with? He compares it with the eternal weight of glory. Look how he made that structure there. He says the light momentary affliction, light. 
he contrasts that with weight. Momentary, he contrasts with eternal. And, and affliction, he contrasts with glory. Paul's saying, look, this is how we feel. This is our experience, but this is the reality. The eternal weight of glory. Charles Spurgeon said this about this light affliction. I love, the, I love this quote. He says, We may well say that no affliction weighs more than a gnat resting on an elephant when the Lord's upholding grace is sweetly manifested to our soul in times of perplexity, anxiety, and pain. Right? He, he, he talks like that because he lived in the 1800s, right? Me, we may well say that no affliction, right? But I love that image that when we see the eternal weight of glory, we look at that in comparison with whatever we face. It's not that your suffering doesn't matter. It's not that it's insignificant. But in comparison with the eternal weight of glory, Paul says, there's nothing better. There's nothing more worth living for. So when we face suffering, we can stand on the truth of the Bible that for a Christian, suffering is not the end of the story. By looking beyond the suffering, beyond what is seen to the hope of eternity, it gives us the grace and courage to endure. We can question God and we can try to avoid suffering and we can wonder why we face what we face, but in the end, God has made a way to end suffering. Right? So people ask, why is there suffering? Why would God allow suffering? Why doesn't he end suffering? And the reality is he has and he will. And it's hard to grasp that sometimes. It's hard to believe that truth in the middle of suffering because the problem is it's not on our timeline, it's on God's timeline. It's on the timeline of eternity that God has made a way for suffering to end. It's according to his timeline. And the death and the resurrection of Jesus has made a way for the promise of eternity. We can endure suffering because we know the end of the story. The book of Revelation, chapter 21, and the book of Revelation is God's revelation to John about things that were to come in the end. It's a vision of heaven. It's a vision of what God is going to do. Listen to these words. Let these rest on our hearts this morning. He writes, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. This is the beauty of the gospel. This is the hope that we have. We can't see it right now. We live by faith, knowing that this is what our God is going to do. We place our faith to say that, God, one day you will wipe away every tear. One day the suffering, the mourning, the pain, all of these things will end and we will be in the presence of God. The suffering that you have endured, the suffering that we have seen other people endure, our hope is that God will wipe away every tear, and death shall be no more. This is our eternal hope. This is how we endure, and we can live with this hope of eternity. Suffering can cause us to harden our hearts. 
or it can cause us to soften our hearts and say, okay, God, what do you want to do? This morning, soften your hearts to God. Whatever you're going through, maybe if you even talk with a friend or people that are going through things, that we say, soften your heart to God. It doesn't always make sense, but there is a way of life that God has made a way for suffering to end. And in verse 16, Paul says, he says there, he says, so we do not lose heart. And I would say it to you this morning, do not lose heart. Because we have the hope of eternity. There's an old song that it used to sing growing up in church, and it says this, Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future, and life is worth the living just because he lives. It's not what Paul said, but I think that's what he's trying to say. Right? It's what the song's trying to say. We live, we endure, we face the things of life because Jesus lives, that we have hope of eternity. We don't look to the things that are seen, but to what is unseen. But because of Jesus, we have hope. That Jesus suffered in our place. We think about suffering, and I mentioned this last week, but think about this again. Jesus on the cross, that experience helps us understand suffering that God was sovereign even over that, that Jesus suffered physically, emotionally. He was rejected, and yet God was sovereign over all of it. You ever think about who killed Jesus? Was it the Roman soldiers? Well, yeah, they did. Was it the Jewish leaders, Jewish people? Well, yeah, they sent him there. But was God sovereign over that? Yes. Because what did Jesus say? In John chapter 10, verse 18, Jesus says, No one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. And this is the love of Jesus for you and I. It's the sovereignty of God even in that, that yes, he died at the hands of the Romans or the hands of the Jewish people, but Jesus was the one saying, I'm in, I'm in charge of all of this. God is sovereign over all of this because God is working salvation for humanity. And like I said, in my last point, I said, for a Christian, suffering is temporary. But I would say this to you this morning, whether you're in the room or watching online, if you are not a Christian, if you have not come to that place where you've surrendered and said, Jesus, I put my faith in you, that my, my sins are forgiven only through Jesus, and that the only way I get to God is through what Jesus has done. I can't get there by being good. I can't get there by being better than someone else. I only get there by Jesus. Right? If that is you, if you are not a Christian, you need to hear this, and I say this with love because it's the message that God says to us, that because of your sin and because of your rebellion against God, you, just like I, deserve death, deserve judgment from God. And the reality is you are facing an eternity of suffering, separated from God. And this is bad news. This is not a thing that we want to hear. But in the middle of that, right after that, there is good news. Because it's not that God leaves us there. It's not that God says, good luck figuring this out but that God has done everything to make a way for us to be with him. And this is the gospel that every person, every single one of us has sin. I've put my faith in Jesus. I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus. 
But it's not because I'm better than anyone else. It's because Jesus has rescued me out of my sin. And so the door is open to any person today. Maybe you need to understand, you need to hear, I have sin and my sin separates me from God. But God in his love and grace sent his son Jesus. And Jesus lived a sinless and perfect life. He gave his life on the cross and died in our place. And he rose again. And any person that puts their faith in Jesus, any person that says, I'm sinful and I can't fix myself, but Jesus, you can. Save me. I put my faith in you. Help me. That you are rescued. You are brought to life. You are made new. And you no longer have to face an eternity of suffering, but you have an eternity that is secure. An eternity where... Not Siri. Go away. An eternity... (laughs) where God rescues and saves and makes all things new. If you need to put your faith in Jesus today, talk to us, send us a message, reach out to us. Maybe today, this morning, if you are a Christian, you just need to be reminded of that and let that sit in your heart day after day. This is what Jesus has done. And this is why we have hope, because he has rescued us out of our sin. Annabelle's going to come on up, and we're going to continue in worship here in a moment. But as you think about, okay, how, how am I responding this morning? What is God saying to my heart? Hold on to this truth that we can endure suffering by trusting that God reigns over the past, over the present, and over the future. So keep going. Don't give up. God is faithful. Let me pray for us this morning.